Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday social. Today we have Fred Durrell, the Democratic nominee for the Oklahoma Commissioner at Labor. Uh, how are you doing, Fred? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing doing pretty good, man. Uh, so first off, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of your background and um, how you, where you grew up and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I'm currently employed at Spirit Arrow Systems in Tulsa. I'm the labor relations specialist. I have been for uh, a little over six years, which labor uh, specialist deals with interfacing with the union, representing the company and contracts and and those things. Um, prior to that, I was at the uh, Tulsa Glass Plant, uh, Ford Motor Company. Um, was the owner. I've worked there for 38 years. I was an active union employee. I was president and chairman of my local union for about 12 years. I was employee benefits rep for about 18 years. Uh, I'm an adjunct professor at Tulsa Community College, teaching small business, human relations, and other business courses. Um, I serve on the Broken Air Planning Commission, which I have been, I believe, the last 12 years. So that's, I was born and raised in Oklahoma, except for the time that uh, I've lived here my whole life, except for the time when I was in the Air Force. Um, I've got three adult children, um, five grandchildren, a graduate uh, master's degree from the University of Oklahoma. My undergraduate was from Northeastern State University in Oklahoma, uh, human relations, I mean, in uh, industrial technology uh, supervision, and then an associate's degree in labor studies. All right, and you're you're running for the commissioner of labor. Uh, That's correct. Can you tell us kind of what uh, what what they do? What does the the commissioner of labor do? Um, what are they responsible for? Because you know a lot of our a lot of our uh, listeners may not know exactly uh, what the the commissioner of labor does. No, that's an excellent question, and you're right. Not only listeners, but people uh, across the state. It's the labor department. Um, their primary roles and responsibilities are to foster, promote, and develop for the welfare of the wage earner, uh, and more importantly, advocate for profitable employment. So, and in addition to that, to enforce the laws enacted by the legislature. So, you know, they put under the, the scope of, of the Labor Department, you have the administrative division, which is finance, legal affairs, et cetera, but you have asbestos abatement. You have employment standards division, covers things like child labor, wage and hour, um, workers' compensation enforcement, um, public employees, or they call it PIOSH, uh, safety pays, uh, OSHA consultation division, safety standards division, and something new is a licensing unit. The to evaluate uh, the licensing process, uh, what is needed, what is not, continuing ed, those kinds of things. And, uh, and, and another piece was workplace development. So if you were to be elected, um, what would your goals for, the, for Oklahoma's workforce be? What, what, are you, um, what are you looking to achieve? Well, I, my, top three, my top three issues, I guess it would be a place to start. Um, and that would be workplace safety programs. I mean, uh, safety is not an option, I believe, but it's an obligation. You know, we should be our brother, sister, keeper. Uh, that's everybody's responsibility. Um, I think we should 
continue and promote the existing programs that are working, but expand them where necessary. I think we need to incentivize and promote those businesses or workplaces that adhere to safety policy and regulations. Um, and also mental health and workplace safety, they're kind of intertwined. So even though mental health is not under the scope of the Labor Department, um, I think it's critical because mental health issues uh, do have an impact on workplace safety. So that's just kind of an overview of that um, as it relates to a living wage. You know, in Oklahoma, we have a minimum wage of 725, which is below poverty. Um, the last minimum wage increase we got was 2009. You know, I believe that the labor commissioner's job is one of enforcement and advocacy. Uh, but I also believe that as a labor commissioner, you can advocate and work to provide to ensure a living wage. And, you know, people have asked me, what do I believe a living wage is? Well, you know, I don't know. And I say that because my view is that to advocate bringing the, the, the stakeholders together and have conversations, um, talk about needs and, and what we can do collectively. Um, it's about bringing people together, to get their input. I think any time you have where it's a, I, I call it, it's not an I program, it's a we program type thing. Um, so I believe, you know, open dialogue and visible, visible actions will uh, instill and foster uh, long-term solutions. And I think the same applies with the government. You know, one of the challenges we have in Oklahoma is we talk about economic development, we talk about jobs, and you hear a lot about bringing jobs in, but um, our unemployment is lower than it has been, and ever, I believe, or pretty close. But yet the jobs that we provide are, are, are low-level, low-wage jobs. Um, and I think that kind of goes into um, the education challenges and issues that we have. Uh, and the third thing, and, and really is just as important, if not more important in some ways, and that is education development training um, in, in the workplace. Uh, for both the workers and or the, the employers. You know, I think we need to look at apprentices, you know, uh, more apprenticeship programs, uh, benefits and wage earners and benefits of uh, business development, uh, promote a higher quality of life to the wage earner, reward and incentivize business for employee development or education reimbursement, you know, um, give employers, you know, we, we kind of do things, we talk about tax incentives to get businesses um, to come to Oklahoma, but we always seem to do it up front. You know, my thought is, and again, this would be something to advocate, uh, but my thought is, how about this? If you're a business owner, uh, you want to move to Oklahoma and do this, how about let's make it post instead of pre? Post meaning if you've invested back into the workforce and you provided certain criteria, then we give you a tax incentive or a tax uh, rebate, whatever you want to call it. But all too often, we give it up front and the communities suffer. Uh, they say, well, they're going to make up the difference for the wages, uh, people paying into the tax base. But the challenge is when you've got low wage earners um, that, you know, what are they contributing? So I, I, we seem to do a lot of talking about business and have for the last year. But very little conversation about the workers and and to me that's critical you take someone for example that makes 
uh, say $9 an hour, maybe they're a single parent, they have a child or two, uh, they can't make ends meet, they go on government assistance, be it WIC or be it welfare, be it whatever that they could uh, apply for. Um, who pays that? Well, the government, okay? Who supports the government? The taxpayers. So, you know, businesses, I think there's things we can do to help businesses, small business, um, you know, about, you know, and when that's what I mean when I talk about education development training uh, programs. You know, when businesses come into a state, they look at a number of different things. I mean, obviously, the proximity to markets, raw materials, wage rates, and labor supply. And when I say wage rates, it's not always cheap labor. Um, you know, they look at the business climate um, and then the tax rates and operating costs. So, I mean, those things all come in together. So we want to help business because if we help business, we help the wage earner. But there has to be a balance and there has not been a balance. You know, so those are just a number of things, that, you know, incentivize, you know, uh, as I say, the good actors, uh, you reward them and the bad actors, then you deal with them. You know, I think it's just like in, in HR, you know, I've been an HR professional for a number of years. And my belief is that discipline should be corrective before it becomes punitive. And, and I believe that wholeheartedly. So I think as an enforcement arm of the Department of Labor, you know, you need to look at, you know, what can you do uh, to correct a, an action or a behavior rather than just going and say, okay, here we go. We're going to go straight to the punitive stage. So, and what ties into that too, Thomas, is, you know, the transparency. You know, I'm not a big proponent. Uh, I mean, I'm not a proponent of big government, but I am a proponent of effective government. Uh, and that's doing the right thing for the people that matter the most. And, and that's the people of the state. Transparency, you look at facts and data, you run your business, you Radio station, air, our life is on facts and data. And facts and data is just really simple. But we don't seem to track things in this state, or there's some organizations that don't believe they should be, uh, that their workplace safety or those things really apply to them because it has no effect. Well, that's not true. You have to make decisions based on what you know. And so I think that there's some some issues. I know that there's been cuts in the government. One of the things they cut because of cost, and that's tracking uh, the data, the information. Uh, how can you make sound decisions if you don't have all the data? So to me, that's that's paramount. That that's part of being transparent. You go to the website from the Department of Labor, Oklahoma Department of Labor. It's not user friendly. Uh, the access or avail availability to important information or data <clears throat> is hard to find, if at all. And it kind of keeps people, you know, the frustration of it uh, going in circles. You know, I get a lot of phone calls about wage theft or wage robbery, if you will, where people uh, that, that are owed money by an employer, um, the process is they would have to contact the Department of Labor. They contact them, they got to fill out a form, and then they have to reach out to the employer, yada, yada, yada. And, and that's fine, but but I subscribe to the notion that how about the Department of Labor, you pick up the phone and you say, okay, what's going on here? You try to solve it or resolve it best you can uh, quickly. Um, now, 
ultimately you may have to fill those forms out. There's a process because, you know, you're, as they say, you're innocent until proven guilty. And I subscribe to that. But some of this is just flagrant where you've got employers that are intentionally trying to uh, uh, shaft the employees. And they've even told them as much. Now prove it. And so, I mean, those are some of the the frustrations. And, and, and I use my son as an example. He was terminated from his employment um, for some bogus reasons. And was going to deny his unemployment and I told him to appeal it and he did and he won his case because employers will say basically his employer said look I'll give you two weeks severance but if you file unemployment I'll deny it and basically threatened him and I said no you go ahead and do that and he did so I mean it's real it's not just perceived those are the kinds of things that that go on there. I also think that there needs to be a comprehensive review and not an audit, but uh, of the labor department. I mean, I think we've got a lot of great people in the department of labor. They do a good job, but oftentimes you'll see the legislature will throw things. Well, let's put this under the department of labor. Let's put this underneath insurance commissioner is kind of a hodgepodge. And what I've seen uh, over the last number of years, uh, they, they've taken things out. They've tried to weaken it. They, it's down ballot, right? I mean, there's no glory to be in a department uh, or the commissioner of labor. It's work, but it's work. It should be work. Um, it should be about the people. And that's where we've lost sight. Now that's uh, You made some interesting points there. And one thing that um, really stuck out kind of right there was whenever you started talking about wage theft, and, you know, the only time that I've ever even heard that term was um, whenever employers were talking about, like, uh, people clocking in for other people and, um, right. like, forging, uh, uh, you know, time cards or something like that. I've never heard heard of it from from that side of it. And, I, and you know, I think that happens a lot. And people, uh, people sometimes don't, don't want to fight or they um, – they kind of just let it go. And, you know, I, I think I've, I've probably uh, been in that situation before where uh, we were working more than 40 hours a week and instead of uh, paying us overtime, they gave us comp time. But then um, there was hardly any days that they would ever let us take that comp time and we'd end up just losing right. comp time. And it was, uh, it was a big mess there for a while. And after I started kind of speaking up about it, then um, they started trying to limit our to make sure that we were working forty hours a week, so it wouldn't be a problem anymore. Well, so. no, you're exactly right, and that's more common than you think. I had a lady not too long ago call me in desperation, and she got my number from Google, and pulled up, and my name came up. Uh, said, "Are you? I don't know who to call." And uh, her employer had uh, she had just started a new job. She needed money. And she had lost her pay card. And so, or no, she had filled out her bank information. In the meantime, they'd given her a pay card. And she had lost it. I forget what, what exactly all the details were. But, you know, she was, they were shutting down her utilities, um, you know, rent. I mean, you could tell by the lady's voice, the desperation. And she asked me, called me, and I said, well, 
you know, I'm not the labor commissioner, but here's what I would do. And to contact the Department of Labor and let them know. And uh, she'd gone to HR. Well, first I told her, so what I would go to your boss or I would go to the HR department and ask them if they cut you a check. Well, they can cut a special check. They said, uh, said no, they wouldn't uh, or they couldn't or whatever the case might be. And she had given her information to the HR person. She had misplaced it. Anyway, in any event, I got off work. It kind of threw me off. Um, it was early in the campaign. And so I got home and I tried to call the lady back to see if there's anything else I could do or or whatever. And unfortunately, her phone had been disconnected. And uh, so they had gotten to her phone. So, you know, I mean, that's just indicative of the things that go on. Uh, and to your point, you, you hear that a lot. We'll give you comp time. Uh, but then when you take that comp time, then it becomes uh well we don't you, you can't do that now and so basically you work for nothing so i mean there's a lot of improvements that need to be and, and people need an advocate for them i mean labor unions people are in unions yeah they've got representation and i have a union background and i'm not trying to organize the state i'm just trying to represent the wage earners people have a right to join and form unions um but it's those that don't have a voice that, to me, that, that are just as important as anybody else. Because, you know, business needs wage earners. Wage earners need business. It, it, there has to be a balance. You, you know, it, it can't be one-sided. Now, how much experience do you have working um, with tribes? Because, you know, in, in Oklahoma, um the Native American population is a lot bigger than, than some other states. And you have uh, tribes that employ a lot of people. So, um, you know, what what are you going to do to work with the tribes in Oklahoma if you get elected? And, and what, what kind of history do you have with working with tribes? Well, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't have uh, any history of working with tribes, um, you know, so, but I am conscious and, and aware, you know, I believe in the sovereignty, sovereignty uh, of the tribes. Um, and I think whether you're in a tribe or not, a lot of the same issues bleed over. Now, I think what I would do is partner with, with the tribes to find out what their needs and issues and concerns are and what I can do to represent all of Oklahoma, not just a select group or, or a little caveat here and there. So um, I'm, I'm learning. You know, as I said, uh, every time I don't have all the answers, but what I do have is the ability um, to reach out and have dialogue and communication to have a better direction. You know, the difference in me and then a lot of folks is I'm not going to tell somebody what they want to hear unless I believe it to be true. And if I don't know something, um, I'm going to let you know, but I guarantee I'll find out. So I'm, you know. I know that doesn't give you maybe the answer, but, you know, like yesterday, we went to an event, um, United Nations of Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas, uh, their annual gathering at Osage Casino. And it was very enlightening. Uh, some of the challenges, you know, in Indian land, uh, they, the pipelines will come through. And if it's a union job, then they'll hire a certain percentage of Native Americans. If it's not, they, they, they as I understand it, They'll, they'll hire people, uh, but they're not trained, they're not qualified. And so what happens? They don't last long. So 
they become a disposable workforce. And they said, tell the chief of the tribe, well, hey, we did, but they couldn't do it. And they've got people from other states coming in and doing it, not even not even Oklahomans. So, I mean, there's some things that we turn our eyes to or our shoulders or our backs to that we shouldn't. And that kind of stuff has has to stop. You know, we were in Alva not too long ago uh, last week and all we saw was uh, there's a bunch of Halliburton trucks there. OK, well, why Halliburton? Well, that's why. But, you know, we, we do contract labor. They contract work out. And and here's the, the thing about contract work. They you know, they'll pay the contractor, let's say 60 bucks an hour, and the worker may only get 25 or 30, depending on what, what the job is. Uh, but they're from other states. You know, why don't we invest? And if you're doing things on tribal land, what about educational programs that prepares the youth um, to have the training and the education and the development to do those jobs instead of outsourcing? You know, one of my opponent talks about uses aerospace as an example. They can't get work. They can't get people that are qualified. Uh, and so they have to contract. Well, that's not necessarily true because a lot of times companies want contractors because, again, they're a disposable workforce. They hire you today, don't like you, get uh, done. That They don't have to deal with workers' comp. They don't have to deal with unemployment. Uh, no, don't like Joe Blow. I need another one. To me, that's just that's that's treating people like they're dis we're not a disposable nation, a disposable workforce or disposable people. And we got to get out of that mindset. And it's critical and it's key, because one of the things that that I've heard and I'm not an expert on this, but I have a lot of close friends that are Native American and, and the Native American society, as I'm told, and I don't know this or they don't vote. They don't get out and vote and exercise, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, it's, it's kind of that's one of the things that we're really that we're really um, kind of battling here, uh, trying to get people out to vote and to um, register to vote, and you know, certain issues and certain candidates that that um, come from uh, you know these areas that are really rich in, in Native American culture and history, and actually go out to those tribes and talk to them. Um, they're starting to get more of the native vote out there. And, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I kind of asked you about it, because it, it is a struggle to get natives to vote because we're, we're such a, a right-leaning state. And uh, a lot of Native Americans feel like their vote doesn't count because of the way the electoral college is and all that kind of, you know. But what we're trying to get out to them is that voting local is is more important almost than voting in those uh, presidential elections every four years. Well, no, you're exactly right. And, and we are, we, we talk about being conservative. We're a conservative state. Um, you know, we look at the challenges that we have in our education system. You know, we got teachers, qualified, certified teachers are leaving the state to go to Texas and other areas for more money. Uh, we can set and complain about things, but, I'm a firm believer in you got to take action. It's not just you got to just not talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk. And and to me, you know, I'm an older man. I'm 64 years old. I champion the youth and you're, you're going to make a difference. You're going to have to make a difference because my function and role and my stage in my life is to try to prepare a pathway 
for the younger generation to have something to hang on to, to have something to grow and expound on or to build off of. And again, that goes back to labels that, you know, what you hear now is, and I've gone to a number of events and, and you'll hear different candidates, you know, uh, be it Republican and or Democrat. See, to me, it shouldn't be about the party. It should be about the person. And you can always tell when they have nothing really to stand on because they all of a sudden they say that they're, quote, pro-business. Okay, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> or they'll say, uh, I'm conservative. Well, uh, you know, it, it, my experience has always been it's always conservative when it pertains to you, but it's liberal when it pertains to your neighbor. Kind of like you're in a recession when your neighbor doesn't have a job, but you're in a depression when you don't have a job. So it's, it gets down to perspective. And, and I think the challenge that we have with the youth today is getting them engaged. And, you know, you know, we teach them all these things about what to do, right, wrong, or indifferent. And then when they get out in the real world, they see that the world is, when you look at the politicians and, you know, the things that happen, it's contrary to what we've tried to instill into them as parents. Um, so yeah, I can see where it could be confusing, but I'm all about youth. I'm all about, you know, getting them engaged, going to make a difference. Um, so yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we have time for one more question and I wanted uh, to ask you what, what impact do you think that medical marijuana and maybe eventually recreational marijuana will have on Oklahoma's workforce, um, as it as it kind of moves along, we're already seeing a lot of these dispensaries popping up. There's going to be a lot of grow operations, and that that kind of goes back to what's always been um, what Oklahoma kind of uh, stood on was you know the farm, the farmers, the people that were uh, growing stuff. Well, I, I think you know that's an evolving issue. The legislature hadn't met yet. Um, you know, to really kind of iron it out. However, the people have spoken, and I think they they need to leave intact how it was. Now, from from an HR standpoint, um, obviously, if a person has a, a license, if you will, for marijuana, uh, they have a right. Got it. But it's no different than if you're drinking on the job, if you're smoking on the job. Uh, same consequence doesn't mean you know uh, that you have a right to do that now. Uh, you know, you can't be discriminated against because you have a, a and you shouldn't be, uh, you know, it's kind of like the example uh, we've talked about in, in our meetings is you can go out and get drunk on a Friday night, come to work on Monday, and there's no sign or trace of anything. But if you go out and and you smoke a joint, for example, and I'm not I don't I'm not an expert on this, but you know, come Monday morning, it's going to show that you, you've smoked. Uh, so I think, you know, and it's no different just as also, if you've got a card for medical marijuana, it doesn't matter if you have an accident at work. Um, anytime there's a workplace accident or incident, um, there's usually automatic drug testing. And so with that drug testing, you know, what's my understanding is that they're working on where, uh, on a test that can tell you how recent you were or that you smoked. But again, I'm talking out of school, but that's one of the things we haven't had. It just shows that you have THC or whatever it might be in your system. So yeah, there's going to be some challenges, 
Um, but I think I know the company I work for, we, we treat people with dignity and respect and their rights. And we don't just drug test people to drug test people. Uh, I think it's going to have an impact on pre-employment uh, testing. Most companies will will uh, do pre-employment testing. Uh, I think you're going to see a change in that because yeah, it may not. But but again, you look at people that take hydrocodone or oxycotton or those kinds of medications, they got a script for it. Um, same thing. If they have a rack and they get tested and it shows that if they haven't declared or, you know, they could be subject to consequences as well. Because usually if, if someone has taken a, a drug of that and, you know, operating equipment, trucking companies, you know, you've got FFA or FAA requirements and things like that. Yeah, it's going to play a role. So, you know, there's not a short answer to that is what I'm trying to say. Is yeah, that and that's, a, you know, that's always been the problem with um, drug testing anyway, especially, you know, it's it's so expensive to do stuff like hair testing, you know, other other kind of tests. And, you know, most most of the time it's a it's a urine test. But right. the, the problem with it is that marijuana can stay in your system for 30 days. Whereas if you're doing uh, cocaine or methamphetamines or, you know, even taking pills like that stuff's going to be out of your system in somewhere close to three days. And right. so when, when you are drug testing people, you're basically just drug testing them to see if they, if they smoked weed, unless they just very recently did uh, some kind of hard drugs. And so that, that's always been kind of the problem um with drug testing anyway and so uh, it's interesting that you that you said that they're working on um a test to see how recent it was that you smoked so well yeah and, and i think the interesting part too is you know i see the legislature um you know we, we have initiative petition we vote and then all of a sudden people want to change the intent and the meaning behind it or you know, we had the same fear factor back when they legalized or made liquor by the drink legal. Um, and there was a follow up article I read, I believe it was in 2014. They thought it was going to increase um, all the accidents or DUIs and alcoholism and all those things. And, you know, and it didn't. And so, again, I, this is not my area of expertise. Um, I have my thoughts and, and my own opinions, but it's not based on 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 my background or knowledge, but, you know, I think we have to let things evolve as they go. But again, you know, the people have voted, we've got to take and honor what their wishes were uh, and not just have a bunch of, of legislators that's going to come in and try to change it to be that focuses to their, their uh, special interest group or their lobbyist or whatever. And that's the challenge that we have, I think, before us. All right. Well said. Uh, thank you, Fred, for joining us today and, um, you know, really enjoyed our, our conversation today. I learned a lot about the commissioner of labor that I didn't know. So um, thank you for, well, I, for joining us and it. hopefully you can come on again after you win. Uh, I appreciate that. So you have a great day and thanks again, Thomas. I, I enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. Thank you.